Isn't God good? I'm going to be talking about the forerunner. Everybody know who that is? The forerunner, John the Baptist? Now this isn't John that wrote the book of John. This is John the forerunner. Not John that wrote Revelation. Not John the disciple. John the Baptist. Now we had a baptism this morning. And Dad started to preach my sermon for me, but fortunately he stopped. So we're going to continue with what he started up there. But first of all, we're going, to, we're going to go a little bit before the baptism that we participate in and talk about John and the baptism that he dealt with. So first we're going to read about four different scriptures straight through. If you've got a pencil and you want to write them down, that's fine. I didn't prepare my notes this morning to hand out. You can look them up later. I'll just read through them. And then we'll go through the, the information. First of all, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, that it gives us holy boldness. Ask you, Lord, just to open our minds and our hearts that we may understand in the Spirit what you're telling us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 7, 18 through 22. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord. They found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time he cured many people of their various diseases, cast out evil spirits and restored sight to the blind. Then he told John's disciples, Go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the good news is being preached to the poor. Mark 1, 9-13 It happened in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. On coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit, like a dove, descended upon him. And a voice came from the heavens saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit drove him out into the desert, and he remained there for forty days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mark sixteen sixteen. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Acts 2.38 Peter replied, Each of you must turn from your sins and return to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for for forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. May God bless His Word. His Word does not return void. I could stop there because the Holy Spirit can use those words. But since I'm preaching, I'll go on anyway. First of all, we have to get to the bottom line of this. What is baptism? Well, it's a Greek word. It's, well, it's from the Greek. It basically means to dip, to bathe, to immerse. It is what's considered a sacrament of the church. Now those who have a Catholic background understand that word more than some. Sacraments are things like baptism, uh, communion, things like that. Things that are holy and used as a foundational thing that we do in the church. 
So it's not to be thought of lightly. It's a ritual, so to speak. But it's a, a ritual that's twofold. And this is where I'm going to talk about John the Baptist versus what we're doing now. See, John the Baptist was baptizing people. But what authority do you suppose he had to baptize people? He wasn't ordained by anybody, was he? I mean, the Bible says he was living out in the desert on locusts and wild honey. Oh, what a, what a preparation for preaching. Who wants to prepare for her ministry that way? He had a fine ensemble of camel hair and a loincloth made of leather. Isn't that just wonderful? He was a Nazarite, so he didn't shave, he didn't comb his hair. Or he didn't cut his hair, rather. He probably didn't comb his hair either, I don't know. So he was a sight to behold. But his baptism wasn't for salvation. Do you understand that? Let's talk about John the Baptist's background. Well, we know he was born. His parents were Zacharias and Elizabeth. Those of you who may not know, Elizabeth was the of the line of Aaron. She was one of the daughters in the line of Aaron. Which is what gave John the Baptist the authority as a priest. The Jews didn't bother John the Baptist. Because they knew his background and he was qualified to be a priest. He was qualified to baptize. Baptism was long before Jesus came. But John's baptism was just a little bit different. It was only one part of the baptism we do now. When they were baptizing in John's time, when John baptized, there was no remission of sins in baptism. Remission of sin came from sacrifice. Yes or no? So what was the purpose behind the whole thing? Well, John's baptism was a way for people to set themselves into a specific community of believers. Come be baptized and identify with us as believers. John was proclaimed in the Old Testament through Malachi and Isaiah as the forerunner, someone who came before the Messiah to announce His coming, to prepare the way. Malachi 3 says that he came as a forerunner. He's preparing the way for the Messiah to come. So John the Baptist, we know, was that forerunner. He was also a cousin of Jesus, in case you didn't know that. He was born six months before Jesus was. And the angel Gabriel is the one that told Zacharias all about it, who thought he was absolutely nuts. So Zacharias said, well, I don't believe it. So Zacharias got to spend the pregnancy term without being able to talk. Because he was not believing in God's word. Now if an angel came to me, especially Gabriel, you'd think that I would be smart enough to say, Gabriel, let's see, he's pretty high up on the chain. I might believe what he said. Well, Zachariah was a priest. He didn't believe it either. You know, a lot of us can look in hindsight at the things like uh, Benny Hinn and all those and say, Oh, well see, God can do all these things. But if God came to you in the middle of the night and told you, Why don't you go lay hands on this guy and I'm going to heal him of his this or that. How fast would you jump up out of bed and say, Praise God, I'm going to go over there and pray right now, because it's going to happen. 
Or are you going to roll over and say, oh, that was a dream? Not me. You know, Benny Hinn may do miracles with the power of the Holy Spirit, but you can do the same thing he does. You don't have to chase Benny Hinn down to find out where he's having a conference so you can get healed. You can do it in your own bedroom. Even if you don't clean it. Because the Holy Spirit's here to clean our house. So John's baptism was to set them apart as a community. Now, in those days, community was everything. The people you identified with reflected your social status, your your well-being, where you lived. It all centered around social status. Kind of like it does today in some ways, but a lot more stronger in that society. So when you came out to identify yourself with John the Baptist, you were doing something very significant beyond just getting wet. You were signifying that you are now going to be a part of this group of believers for this forerunner named John. When John saw Jesus coming to be baptized, he said, I can't do that. I should be baptized by you. I can't even be worthy enough to tie your shoes for you. Because he knew who Jesus was. He knew that that was the man who was there to proclaim. Baptism can be looked at as a, an outward expression of something that's already been internally committed. Baptism, the act of immersing in water, is merely getting wet if you have not already asked Jesus to save your soul. There's many people who get baptized a couple, two or three times until they finally start to get understanding. It's okay to get baptized again if you, you knew you were baptized, but you didn't get it back when you did. You just did it because it was something to do. It's okay to get baptized again. That's right. It's alright. Because what it is, is your obedience to Christ and obeying what He said to do. And if you didn't understand that the first time, and you understand it now, it's okay to line up here and get baptized again. It's alright. We can have a baptismal right after church again. So it's an outward expression of an internal commitment. Now John the Baptist had faith. He knew who Jesus was. When he walked up, he baptized him because Jesus wanted to be baptized. But yet John the Baptist was a man who had some doubts. He wasn't quite certain yet. He sent his followers to say, Are you the guy? Are you sure you're the guy? How many have had doubts? The baptism of John, again, was to go into community. Christ had not yet died on the cross. So the act of baptism did not symbolize the death, burial, and resurrection at that time. Christ hadn't died yet. So there was no remission of sins involved in John's baptism. In baptism today, because it does represent, symbolize Jesus' burial and resurrection, it adds a second piece to the baptism that already had been established. Yes, it is 
showing that you belong to a community of believers as a child of God. But it's also significant in the the example Christ was giving through obedience to show that you're saved. The baptism itself didn't save you. It was the fact that Jesus died and rose again. That you believed upon the confession of your faith that saved you. So you're symbolizing, yes, I'm part of a group, but I'm also symbolizing, I'm not only part of a group, I'm saved and going to heaven because Jesus died for me. Now if you don't want to stand up and say, I'm proud that Jesus died for me and I'm going to heaven, i got a scripture for you. If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Don't you want to be ashamed? How many have been ashamed of yourself before? Something you did wrong? How would you like to get to the pearly gates, stand before the throne, and Jesus said, I'm ashamed of him. He shouldn't be here. Because he was ashamed of me. You don't want to be ashamed of God. You want to proclaim Him. You want to be excited about Jesus. You want to be excited about your salvation and the fact that you too are going to heaven. Baptism is the very essence of that. I am saying I'm a Christian. I am saying I'm living for Christ. I'm going to do everything in my power to do that. What's the first thing you're supposed to do when you accept Jesus into your heart? Tell somebody. Why? It helps encourage your own faith in it. Have you ever said something and you heard yourself say it and you thought, well, that's pretty good. (laughs) I do that all the time when I uh, do my recording and editing. Oh, gee, I didn't know I said that. It wasn't in my notes. That's the Holy Spirit, believe me. It's not me. The Holy Spirit does that for us. The Holy Spirit gives you the boldness to come up here and talk on a microphone when you wouldn't have done it two weeks ago. Right? This begs one interesting question. If baptism is an obedience to Christ, if baptism symbolizes getting into a community of believers, confessing that your belief in Christ... If baptism is about obedience, why did Jesus need to be baptized? He didn't need it. He was God. Why would Jesus need to be baptized? Well, if you look at the timing involved, Jesus had not yet quite started his ministry. John the Baptist was the forerunner, the announcer, someone who set the stage. Jesus began his ministry by being baptized to set us an example of what we're supposed to do to set ourselves apart as followers of Christ. He didn't need to be baptized. He wanted to identify himself with those that John was identifying with so that we would look at it and say, well, if Jesus does it, I need to do it. He did it as an example to us as to what we're supposed to be doing. Just like everything else he did was an example to us about what we're supposed to be doing. 
Jesus loved us so much that he did everything that we're supposed to do. He lived through everything we're supposed to live through. Including getting baptized. Now, I have to reemphasize again, even though you've heard it several times this morning. Getting dunked in the water is not going to save your soul. You can go jump in the pool all you want to. It's not going to get you saved. It's the act of publicly proclaiming, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I vow to serve Him the rest of my life. That's what it's about. Public proclamation of something that's already internal. Saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of my salvation. I am not ashamed and I will live for Jesus as best I can. Now John had some trouble, John the Baptist. If you're familiar with his story, he made Herod, well not necessarily Herod, Herodotus, Herod's sister-in-law, very upset. Very upset. She was Herod's sister-in-law. But Herod and her decided to just kind of push the husband out the way and have a little affair going on. Openly. He was the guy in charge, so he can do what he wants to. That was his thought. Well, John the Baptist stood up and publicly denounced Herod for doing that. That's about the same thing as going up to President Bush in the middle of a press conference and standing up and saying, you're an idiot, I don't like you, you're stupid, you did all these things wrong. I don't think it would go over very well. You'd probably have a swarm of guys in suits taking you out of the room. Well, it really made Herodotus mad, and she said, I want this guy out. Now, Herod, being the politician, knew it wasn't quite, well, you know, he's pretty popular, and there's a lot of people following him, and we got to look at this carefully. But the power of a woman over a man said, nope, I want him gone. So he put John into prison, thinking that would help. Wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. She said, I want his head on a platter. Literally. So that's what she got. John the Baptist was only in ministry for about six months. But it launched Jesus' ministry. And we know what happened for those three years after John the Baptist. Jesus himself validated who John the Baptist was and what his job was. John the Baptist validated what Jesus was doing and who he was. So therefore the prophecies in the Old Testament in Malachi and Isaiah were fulfilled. And Jesus, the Messiah, was here. The problem was the leadership of that day, so high up in their powerarchy, their hierarchy of power, and their politics, didn't want anything to do with it. The reason John was doubtful at first was he was probably like most of the, the Jewish people at the time, and they were expecting the Messiah to come and overthrow the Roman government. They were looking for something tangible, something physical, something now. They weren't looking at big picture, future stuff. That's why John may have been a little bit apprehensive about the whole thing. Well, are you the guy? Because you're not like, you know, coming in with stormtroopers and taking over the place. What's the deal? 
Well, the Jewish leadership decided that was how it was going to be, so it couldn't be through this King of the Jews miracle stuff because that just causes disruption and removes our power base, so we need to remove that. But it all played into the plan that God had in the first place. God knew what was going to happen. And in some cases, He helped set it about. Jesus said in John 5.33, You sent messengers to listen to John the Baptist, and he preached the truth. But the testimony about me is not from man, though I have reminded you about John's testimony, so you might be saved. John shone brightly for a while, and you benefited and rejoiced. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. They have been assigned to me by the Father, and they testify that the Father has sent me. When John was in doubt about the whole thing, what did he do? Did he go to the Jewish leadership and say, what do you think about this guy? No, he didn't. He sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him. So even in doubt, John knew who to go to for the answer. How many times have you been in doubt? It's perfectly human to say, God, are you there? Are you really right? Are you here? Are you really? Please, show yourself to me. It's all right to do that. John did it. And they had Jesus physically in the flesh with them. John still did it. It's okay for us to go to God and say, God, are you there? What on the earth is going on here? Why is this happening to me? And the Holy Spirit is the comforter. A comforter is something that keeps you warm, makes you feel secure, gives you direction, gives you guidance. The comforter is not here to say, well, you know, the, wrong, the problem here is you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you shouldn't have done that, and you should have done this. That's not the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit can use your conscience to give you direction. But if it's going to be something that's going to drive you to despair, like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that, I'm so depressed, this is upsetting me, I didn't do that, I shouldn't have done that, and this person did me wrong, who do you think is really speaking to you there? The enemy of your soul. The one who wants to draw you away from God. So, let's talk about guilt, let's talk about conviction. Conviction is something that the Holy Spirit draws you closer to Him. Guilt is something the devil uses to pull you away from God. You know, I'm so depressed, I'm not going to go to church today. It's not even worth it. I'm such a hypocrite, I just don't want to go. Or, the church is so full of hypocrites, I ain't going to go in there again. Well, I got news for you. Until you get to heaven, you're not going to find a hypocrite-less church. Because as soon as you walk in, it's over. Did anybody get that? As soon as you walk into church, the perfect church is not going to be a perfect church anymore. Because you're not perfect. Neither is anyone else that walks through those doors. Every one of us is human. Every one of us says things wrong. Sometimes we do it more publicly than others. Sometimes we just do it in a stealth mode and nobody knows. But the Holy Spirit knows we can't hide from the Holy Spirit. And He's going to send circumstances our way to help draw us back to the right standing with Jesus Christ. 
And at the same time, the devil, who knows what you're doing too, because he can see it happening, he's going to send his little demons along to harass you and tell you how bad you are, how bad you did, how rotten you are, how everybody else is out to get you, and so on and so forth. He wants to pull you away. Who you need to listen to? pretty obvious when it's explained that way. Listen to the Holy Spirit. But in reality, as human beings, we tend to listen to negative more than we listen to positive. You can have 500 attaboys in the military, but one, oh no, will ruin you for years. Negative has a powerful impact on positive. It reverses its course. You can have positive, 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 positive. One negative can blow it all away. And you start back at scratch again. That's because the devil is the ruler of this world. And he makes sure that the negative is what wins in the destruction of what's right. He knows what the Bible says. He knows what the last book says. He's going to lose in the end. How many of you read the last book to find that out? I know, it's hard. When you're in the middle of a battle, you're in the middle of a trial, middle of a predicament you just can't find your way out of, it's hard to stand there and say, yep, God's in charge and is going to take care of everything. Parents sometimes have to make difficult decisions for their children. God sometimes has to make difficult decisions for His children. Sometimes His children don't necessarily like the decisions. But in the long run, whether the children understand it or not, it's to our best interest, isn't it? Because God's doing it for us. So we have to allow God to do His work through us in spite of the circumstances that are surrounding us, whether we created those circumstances or someone else did. 9-11 wasn't created by us. And it wasn't created by the president. It was created by evil. Evil that wants to make sure that anything that has any even remote relevance to Jesus Christ would be put down. Terrorism isn't about bombs. Terrorism is about Satan trying to cause destruction to cause doubt to cause division do you understand that this this nation is starting to divide along certain lines over terrorism alone why is that because Satan is trying to destroy anything that even resembles a Christian value he hates Christ he hates anything that resembles Christ that doesn't make America Christian believe me America is a greater mission field than some other countries. Because the problem with America is it's full of people who think they're Christians just because they live here. And unfortunately the bad terrorists and the, and the people who don't like Americans look at the same thing. They say, oh, they're Americans? They must be people that we have to hate. Arrogant, self-centered Americans. They think their way is the right way and they want to force it on everybody else. Well, no matter what your political view on the subject, it's irrelevant. 
all about fulfilling prophecy. The prophecies are Christians are going to be persecuted. Christians are going to be told that they're wrong. And I have news for you. It's already in the news. It's already in the papers. It's already happening. Christians who promote right and wrong are considered hate speechers. Hate speakers. It's hate speech. What I'm doing right now, preaching the word, is hate speech. But if I go out there and talk about racism, that's alright. If I talk about equality, that's okay. But if I say Jesus is the only way, I'm intolerant. Well, unfortunately, as a Christian who's read the Word, I am intolerant of sin. I am intolerant of lies. But also as a Christian, I set by Christ's example as best I can to know that everyone else needs to be a Christian. Right now the world is is trying to build this new philosophy of, well, we're all just spokes in a wheel. God's at the center, and whichever spoke you go down, whether it's Buddha, Christianity, it all leads to the same, same hub of God. That's a life in the pit of hell. That is nowhere, nowhere in the Bible. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one comes to the hub without me. If you don't know your Bible, you're going to be sucked into these lies. That's going to be basing a one world religion, a one world philosophy. Do you know they're already talking about moving the United Nations out of the United States somewhere else? It's happening, they're talking about it. When they're going to do it, maybe 50 years, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe 5 years, maybe 2 years, I don't know, they're talking about it. They've been talking about it for a long time. Europe is becoming a hub. They're becoming united states of Europe almost, so to speak. They're making friends. Russia, Germany, France. They're making friends with the people that have the oil. The people who hate us. The writing is on the wall. The stage is being set for the Antichrist. Where does America stand in this? Where do you stand in this? As someone who gets baptized proclaiming that Jesus is your Lord and God, how do you stand knowing that America is a target to be destroyed by a large percentage of the world, whether financially and economically or just by mere destruction? You'll find when you read the prophetical studies of the word that the European area, the Mid-Eastern area, have a huge role in the end times, Armageddon, the Antichrist, and all those things. You'll also find it very silent when it comes to North America. I wonder why that is. Oh, we can speculate. In God we trust. Really? This nation was set 
apart into certain values. It was founded on certain values. Those values in some ways were used in an improper fashion when they kicked the Native Americans out of their area and took over the place and, and all these things. There's lots of, of ups and downs about how America became established and how we're just a bunch of big bullies who just kept taking over things. That's more of a political discussion than it is something for church. But all these things are what's caused the root of anger in different groups, in different areas. People can come to America, the great American melting pot, and be free. Live the American dream. Unfortunately, with the good comes the bad. People come over from whatever means, whether it be a border or an airplane or a boat. They want to do it the way they did it over there, over here. And thank the Lord in America we have the freedom for that to happen. That's what America is founded on. Believe the way you want, live the way you want, do what you want, as long as it's within the context of the law. Because without law there's anarchy. Now if you were to go to another country and expect them to adapt to your values and your ways, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. But America is a unique country in that we allow that to happen. That's one of our strengths. But sometimes a strength can also be a weakness. I'm telling you all this not to get you upset or, or whatever. I'm telling you this so that you'll understand America has a role in the end times. And if we as Christians don't step up to the plate and start getting out there on the streets, whether it be door to door, at work, or wherever else, and getting people to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and getting them saved, then we are failing. Not as Americans, as Christians. Does it make any sense at all? My job here is not to be an American. I was not born because God said, you need to be an American. Californian. I was born so that I might uplift the name of Jesus. That's why you're here. That's your purpose. We were created... To worship and praise the Almighty God. As human beings, long before America was even a thought, our purpose of creation was to worship the Almighty God. The one God. The only God. Capital G. The purpose of the enemy is to see that we don't do that. Or to give us other options and alternatives. Because there's, oh, there's so many ways to enter the kingdom. There are lots of ways to enter the kingdom of hell. There's only one way to enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And the Bible is very clear on that. Repent, Peter said, and be baptized for the remission of sins. John the Baptist came to prepare the way, not for Muhammad, who came 25, 30 years later. He came to prepare the way for the Messiah. The one called Jesus Christ. 
Our Savior, the one who died and rose again. No other God of this world has ever done what Jesus did. Died and rose and walked among us again. No other God. The same God that says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That includes your trucks and your boats and your football games, I have you know. How many times can we both plop down 50 bucks to go to a game, but if it's more than a buck, we don't want to put it in the offering plate? Oops. Hey, I'm guilty of that too. Well, I can't afford to give a 20 in the offering, but hey, let's go out to lunch. I'd hit you where it hurts, on it? I had a pocketbook. Hits us all, doesn't it? Now, it's not that the church is about money, because it's not. God can work without your money. God can do His work without you. He doesn't want to. He'd prefer that you join in the fun. You don't have to be the preacher. You don't have to be the evangelist. You don't have to be the missionary. But you have to be one who lives the gospel and spreads the gospel because every one of us is commissioned to spread the gospel through our words and our deeds. And if it weren't for the fact that we've had times in our life where we messed up, some people we wouldn't be able to talk to. You think I can go to a drug addict and really be an effective witness without the Holy Spirit because I haven't been there and done that? That doesn't mean you have to go out and say, I'll say, I want to minister to the homeless, so I'm going to move out in the streets. It doesn't mean you have to do what they're doing. You don't have to go become an alcoholic to minister to alcoholics. That's not how, that's a perversion of the gospel. But if you had to have your life go in certain directions where you've had mess-ups, God can and will use those very circumstances in your life, whether they were your fault or someone else's fault, like divorce. He will use those circumstances to help you to minister to someone who you can identify with. The pains in your life can be used for God's glory. Just as the pains in Jesus' life were used for our salvation. God loves us and He wants us to have an abundant life. So what's this all got to do with you as far as baptism? John the Baptist, who cares if he was a Nazarite? And who cares what his dad did he didn't talk about? What's that all got to do with me today? It's nice to have a history lesson, but how does that apply to me when I walk out the door? Repent. Every day. If we confess our sins, He is faithful, He is just, He will forgive us of our sins, and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that was written to Christians. Because they were getting down, because they knew they were messing up, and they thought they may have lost their salvation. i got news for you. The Bible says, no one can pluck you out of God's hand. But don't you use it for a springboard to jump. Because God will not put handcuffs on you and make you stay. He wants willing hearts. Repent, be baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit. You don't have to understand the Holy Spirit to have Him work through you. 
You just have to be willing. A willing vessel. You don't want to be a stagnant pool that just keeps collecting water. You need an outlet. You need some way to let this information and energy go so that God can keep flowing through you. Works the same thing with money. The more you give, the more you're given. The more talents you have that you use for God, the more He's going to use you in those talents and make them better for you. How well do you think I'd play the piano if I'd have never sat down? Now, I must say that I did sit down one day and I started playing the piano. Within two weeks I was playing for services. So God can do that. But how far do you think I would have progressed had I not used it for God? I made a commitment that day when that happened. And I knew it happened because somebody prophesied to me that it would happen. About a year before, I sat down at the piano. Somebody came up to me after they'd been in prayer and said, God just told me one day you're going to sit down at the piano and you're going to play like you've never played before. And you're going to use it for Him. And I've never used it for anybody but Him. I've had many offers to go other places and do other things. But I made a commitment to God to play only Christian music and do only Christian things with the music He gives me. Sure, that may have helped me back in the world. I've been on tour before. I've had, I've had groups I've been on tour with. I've had groups that asked me to go on tour with them. But I weighed it against what I promised God that I would do with the gift He gave me. I'm not the best. I'm no Anthony Berger. I can't trip my fingers up in little knots on the piano. But I'm willing to use my gift for God only. In spite of the allures of what the world might offer. The same thing with the money. The same thing with every other talent that you may have. You need to give it to God and say, God, I'm going to use what you've given me. Even if it's the ministry of, who remembers? Meatloaf. Everybody remember that sermon? Ministry of Meatloaf? Nobody remembers? I'll have to preach it again then. People that make meatloaf for the family or the grieving, that's their ministry sometimes. Whatever your ministry may be, even if it seems to you very minute and very ineffective, God will use it to His glory. You have gifts that God wants you to use. And if you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you and show you those things, be careful what you ask for. Because He will. He will honor your request. He may wait till you say, Well, God, if you don't want to do it, like our brother back there. Well, okay, fine. I'll, uh, Lord, if, if, okay, if I don't get to get it, well, you know, I'm alright with that. That's what God was waiting for, brother. Yeah. He's waiting for you to say, well, here's what I want, but I'd rather have what you want. And then he comes in and does it. He's waiting for that moment in your life. God, not my will, but be done. That's when it hits you, isn't it? God loves you and wants the best for you. And it doesn't matter where you've come from before this day, what you've done before this day, what circumstances you're in today. God loves you and He wants to win with you. He's already won. He's already slated to win. The match is rigged. And He's given you the opportunity to get on the winning side. Azusa Street was great. Back then, it's great this week. But Azusa 
Street can happen on Fifth Street. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Azusa Street can happen in your house. In fact, you know, revival doesn't start in the church. It starts in your home. It starts in your heart. It takes a willing heart to start a revival. Now, oh, believe me, Satan will actively try to defeat the revival because he didn't want that to happen because he knows the outcome. But the good news is, the Bible says, in the end times, many will come. But there will also be a great falling away. And I believe that great falling away is not necessarily Christians. It's more going to be people that proclaim to be Christians that aren't. They don't understand Christianity. They don't understand what Jesus has done for them. So to make sure that the people you love and know don't have the part of being the ones that fell away, you need to live a Christian life and proclaim Jesus Christ to them. And if you need to change your lifestyle to reflect what Jesus wants you to reflect, then you better get busy with it. It may not be popular for you to do, but you need to do it because God will bless you for it and you'll be blessed beyond what you can possibly imagine when you yield to God's will. Many of you in this room have been through many hard things. So have I. And everyone that's been involved in a problem, their problem is the worst. I understand that. No one understands me. No one understands what I'm going through. And that's fine. Everybody has their perception of what they've gone through. Human nature. But I'm telling you, my God does reign and He will bring you through it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And He will make a way for you to escape when you're in a problem you can't seem to get out of. It's a promise. It's in the Word of God. You can't expect Him to obey what He said and keep His Word. You can't always expect everybody in this room to keep their Word because we're all human. He's God. He will keep His Word. He is consistent. He will do what He said. He will bring to pass what He said. He will perform it until when? The day of Jesus Christ. So don't be weary in doing, doing well. Just keep on keeping on. Let go of it and let God deal with it and do your best to live as God wants us to live. Please stand. One of John's problems was at first he didn't quite understand the purpose and the plan that God had for Jesus. Again, he may have thought he was going to be some kind of a uh, Roman emperor uh, takeover person. If he would have understood God's will and plan, the light bulb would have came on and he would have said, Oh, I get it. Well, you know what? We have the opportunity to say, Oh, I understand that. I don't get it, but I understand it. I understand that God said this and this will happen. If you believe that on faith, just as you did your salvation, then you will see it happen in your life. You will have life abundance. And if you recognize God's hand in your life, it, He will exceed your dreams and hopes. He will. He's there to bless us. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to live life abundantly, full of joy, full of glory. So much so that you can't express it so much. 
You'll be so busy telling about the joyous, wondering works of God in your life that you won't have time to mope and complain about the little oh no's. And if you happen to trip over an I know, oh no, mine, and it blows up in your face, then do as Paul said. Praise Him in everything. Not for it necessarily. Praise Him in it. Praise Him in everything and He will bless you. Lord, we thank You today for Your words of encouragement that say that we can make it, we will make it. Give us all the strength, Father, that we need to be joyous overcomers in spite of ourselves and those around us. Let us live our lives openly before You. And fill us, Father, to overflowing. We thank You, Father, for Your goodness. Now, if there's anyone here who needs a shot of joy, or a pick-me-up from your all my downs, then you need to come up so we can pray with you. And if you've never accepted Jesus, you need to come up and accept Him. Because you want to be able to say to God when you're in heaven, I can come in because I'm a child of the King. Anybody want to come for prayer? Spirit. We thank you for your power and your blessings. Lord, I sense that there's someone here this morning that needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit and have the joy our brother has this morning. Somebody who's been seeking. If you're that person, come up now because God wants to fill you. He is willing to fill you. He wants to make your life abundant and full. Put your hands forward, please. Thank you, Jesus.
all you do is say, God, now's the time. I want it now. Lord, remove any doubts, any any thoughts of dismay, Father. Peace. Peace in the name of Jesus. Peace. Thank you, Jesus. Sister, would you come lay hands? feel free but please leave reverently because the Holy Spirit isn't through this morning if you want to talk please do outside the doors the Holy Spirit has more for us this morning if you need healing this morning come up and get healing if you need direction come up so God can help you thank you Jesus and if all else fails, pray for the folks that are here. Encourage them in prayer. Uplift them. People are going through things that they won't even tell anybody about. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. But Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us and He wants us to know that He's there. No matter what He's gone through. Raise your hands up there. Thank you, Jesus. Our Lord, You've given Him your gift. you filled Him already, Lord. Now give Him a dictionary to go with it. Lord, let him understand your will. Give him the direction he needs so that he can do your will, Father. Oh, Lord, I see what you have in store for him. Let him know, Father. Give him confirmation of what you've already told him. He already knows the answer. He's saying, no, not me. Not me. Yes, it's you. God's already told you doubt interfere. The Holy Spirit's here to give you the boldness you need to do what He's called you to do. Just start doing it and He will give you the strength. Thank you Jesus for your strength and your boldness Father. Fill Him now to overflowing. Yes. Overflowing Father from the top of His head to the sole of His feet. Make yourself so real, Father, that He cannot contain the beams coming out of Him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God told me something about this man right here. And it's a good thing. I'll leave it to him to tell you what God said. Because he's still kind of questioning it at the moment. 
You pray with him that God will give him the boldness to fulfill what God has said. Now for an unbeliever, that's like, oh, you didn't say anything. Christians know what I just said, don't they? God's going to use him. God's going to use every one of us. But some people, God's got his finger on. And he started the other day by saying, Okay, God, let's do it your way. Whatever. That's what God is waiting for in each and every one of you. Okay, God. I'm done doing it my way. I'll just accept what you give me. Your way may not have been all that bad, in your opinion. But that's irrelevant, isn't it? The point is you need to give up to God. Let Him say, Oh, you finally understand. You're going to let me do it now. It's like the men in the instruction manual. Once you finally give up trying to put it together, you're going to finally get the book out and find out what it says you're supposed to have been doing. Oh, that screw goes there. wonder why I had three extras. God will lead you in all truth. Just open up and say, God, I'm yours. I want to do your will. And Lord, give me the strength because I don't know what I just said. But it's not scary. Be encouraged that He will. He will do what He said in your life. Yeah. Things happen there in your heart and you're not 